from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Welcome to From the Catbird Seat, a poetry podcast from the Poetry and Literature Center at the Library of Congress. I'm Ann Holmes, the Center's Digital Content Manager. If this is your first time joining us, here's the gist. Each week, we pull from our nearly 80 years of archived recordings to listen to poets reading and discussing their work at the Library of Congress. This season, we're exploring some of the Poetry and Literature Center's key events from the last five years. We'll also bring on some special guests who can take us behind the scenes. All of the event recordings you'll hear this season are available as video webcasts on the library's website. The Rebecca Bobbitt Johnson National Prize for Poetry was established at the Library of Congress in 1988 and has been awarded biennially since 1990. This $10,000 prize recognizes the most distinguished book of poetry written by an American poet and published during the preceding two years, or it recognizes the lifetime achievement of an American poet. The winner of the prize is chosen by a three-member jury, and each member is appointed by a selection committee made up of the Librarian of Congress, the Poet Laureate Consultant in Poetry, and the Bobbitt family. On today's episode, we're going to check in with the three jurors of the 2016 Rebecca Bobbitt Johnson National Prize for Poetry, Mary Zebist, appointed by Librarian of Congress Carla Hayden, Danielle Legros-Georges, appointed by Poet Laureate Juan Felipe Herrera, and Betty Sue Flowers, the longtime juror appointed by the Bobbitt family. In early 2017, over the course of one month, these three jurors convened over phone calls and emails to discuss the 130 books submitted for prize consideration. In the end, they emerged with two winners, Claudia Rankin for her book Citizen, and Nathaniel Mackey for Lifetime Achievement. Betty Sue, Mary, and Danielle talked to us recently about their experiences as jurors for the Bobbitt Prize and how they came to select both Rankin and Mackey. In a minute, you'll hear their phone conversation with Rob Casper, the head of the Poetry and Literature Center, and then we'll play some clips from the prize reading with the two winners. But first, here's a little on the origin of the prize. Rebecca Johnson Bobbitt was one of President Lyndon B. Johnson's three sisters. In the early 1930s, years before her brother's election to the U.S. House of Representatives and decades before his presidency, Rebecca was a graduate student in D.C., where she also worked in the cataloging department at the Library of Congress. It was here at the library where she fell in love with co-worker and fellow Texan Oscar Price Bobbitt. The two were married in 1941. Speaking at the library 50-some years later, their son, Philip C. Bobbitt, revealed some background on his parents' romance. He had discovered a cache of old index cards on which were typed, instead of catalog numbers, excerpts of poems. Essentially, here were the notes cataloging his parents' library love story. When Rebecca Johnson Bobbitt died in 1978, Philip and his father decided to endow a memorial in her name, and owing to this history of love and poetry at the Library of Congress, the Rebecca Johnson Bobbitt National Prize for Poetry was established 10 years later. 
It's been almost 30 years since James Merrill won the first Bobbitt Prize for Poetry. Now, let's hear from Betty Sue Flowers, Mary Zebist, and Danielle LeGros-Georges on selecting the most recent winners. So my first question is just about the fact that it's been almost a year since the three of you met as judges for the Bobbitt Prize. And I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what it was like to work together on this. Of course, you didn't meet in person. You were communicating via email and by telephone. This is Betty Sue. I can start by saying that these two were a delight to work with. And um, although our lists at some point were very different, through conversation we came to agreement on um, our final selections. So it's very nice, given how many books there were that we judged, it's very nice that we could actually have a conversation and come to an agreement rather than come in and fight it out with our favorites. It's Danielle here. Uh, For me, it was really exciting to read and discuss together very recent work, uh, work that allowed us to enter into the important conversations that are taking place today, giving us a sense of the priorities and the preoccupations, uh, experimentations of, of cultural workers, of artists working today. Um, and uh, What's better than being able to talk about something you really like with astute colleagues and practitioners and appreciators of poetry? Yeah, I was struck early on that our three initial lists, I think, didn't have a ton of overlap. And I think, Betty Sue, you had said early on that often when judges get together, the lists, you know, have four or five books uh, at least in common. And I think initially ours didn't. And so it was really sort of wonderful to be able to talk through things together. And that was one thing I really loved about this is I did not feel rushed in our conversations. I felt like we really were able to take our time and sort of went through book by book. And for me, maybe the you know, one of the best things about the process is, you know, there are some poets that we talked about that, um, you know, didn't end up with the prizes, but uh, I became converts to their work just through talking to you. <laughs> And um, and that was that was really exciting and wonderful. I think it's interesting that, as you discussed, you came in with different perspectives and different lists, and then found a way to not only come to come to select winners, but to get excited about the sort of larger group of poets and uh, books of poems that you were discussing. I wonder, is there something? Was there something? that you could name in, in the kind of conversation that you had, other than the fact that it wasn't rushed, as you said, Mary, that made it so magical and fruitful? Yeah, I think we were, we were very interested in the opinions of our colleagues. I think, for me, certainly, I was open to, to learning about texts through a lens that was different than mine. That's exactly what I was going to say. This is been too. <laughs> That was exactly, I said, uh, I was thinking uh, one of the things that, that made it a pleasure was the deep appreciation for each other's opinions, and uh, I would go back and reread some of the books that I hadn't ranked as highly and come to a new appreciation because of what Danielle and Mary said. I, it, was a, it was a learning experience for me, so that, that part was lovely. I felt I was uh, back in poetry class, in a, but in a, <laughs> in a very different, lovely way. Yeah, no, I felt very much the same. 
I, I think one thing that really maybe was a little different from me in this conversation than maybe some other conversations I've been in is that the three of us talked to each other at length unmoderated that it was just the three of us, and I think we felt a sense of uh, trust that you know we could speak candidly with each other. And part of the conversation always felt um, not just sort of what we were bringing with our educated eyes, but also a very human sense of talking to each other and what actually moved us and had sort of opened us. And that was, um, that set things apart for me and really made things um, memorable and, and really got me thinking harder about a lot. I just have one more question to ask, and that really is the question about the winners you selected as a prize. Only once before has the Bobbitt Prize been selected for both Lifetime Achievement and for a collection of poems published in the previous two years. And I'd love to have you talk about how you decided to honor both Claudia Rankin's book, Citizen, and uh, Nathaniel Mackey for Lifetime Achievement. Well, I can speak about Citizen, I think, or, or begin the discussion about Citizen, which seemed to be both an important document of its time and, and also a way to advance poetry. I mean, there were things that she was doing that taught me a lot, at least in my own practice, and seemed important to its time. So that, that seemed an ideal book to choose for what's happening now, I would say. Yeah, we felt that it was a, a daring book, a brave book, taking on white supremacy, whiteness as a construct, whiteness in the American imagination, and... Uh, we felt that it, it deserved uh, attention for that. She looks at uh, micro and macro aggression. Um, it, it's, a, it's a book that's taking on difficult subject matter well. Yes, in a very interesting way. Yes. Very moving, too. Just Yeah, absolutely. As we were talking about these books, there, were a way, there was a way in which, for me, these two books actually really spoke to each other as a pair. I mean, I think they're both really visionary books. The Mackeys, almost in a kind of um, mythological visionary sense, and the um, Claudia Rankin Citizen, almost in sort of the old prophet way of looking deeply into the present. And even the way that they use the pronouns, um, the sort of um, really, I think, tremendously interesting way Rankin uses the the wandering you and the way um, Mackey uses the wandering we with a band of travelers that both pulls in and challenges. I, I would add that for me, Citizen did so much work in terms of uh, challenging our visual education. And Mackey, in some ways, with the aural, the hearing, even on the level of vibration, the, the hearing making us rehear and re-see, and citizen with so much of the visuals, you know, the, the Nick Cave movement of the leap into surrealism and the 
photos and the video accompaniments, uh, they both, I think, are really expanding the sense of what a poem and a long poem can be and how it speaks to us now. Yeah, and I I know that you had uh, Nate Mackey's most recent book to consider, and I also can see how he as a poet made sense for Lifetime Achievement, in part because that book was a continuation of his project. Did you think a lot about that and, and about what he's been doing throughout his career? I think we did take that into account. He has written a number of books. He's worked in poetry, in fiction. He's written an influential book of literary theory. Uh, so he's worked in criticism. He's edited an avant-garde literary journal. So we were taking all of that into account uh, in responding to his work. Yeah, absolutely. From Splay Anthem to Not House uh, to his sort of uh, long serial imagination of this band of travelers. But yeah, all everything Danielle just mentioned, absolutely as well. Yes, I think it's the first time we had an ongoing discussion, uh, a lively discussion, about someone's contribution to poetry which went beyond writing poetry, it, it, uh, so much that he's done. So Lifetime Achievement was, for the first time in this prize, I think, broader than being a poet. It, it was kind of an interesting opening up for me. That's amazing to hear, and I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that, that the three of you found a way to reimagine the Bobbitt Prize and what constitutes Lifetime Achievement, as you also, at the same time, honored a book that, as you said, captured this moment in our culture, in our history, in terms of what poetry can accomplish in contending with those things so powerfully. In April 2017, Claudia Rankin and Nathaniel Mackey traveled to the library to accept the prize and read from their work. Here they are. Some years, there exists a wanting to escape. You floating above your certain ache. Still the ache coexists. Call that the imminent you. You are you even before you grow into understanding. You are not anyone worthless, not worth you. Even as your own weight insists, you are here fighting off the weight of non-existence. And still, this life parts your lids. You see you seeing your extending hand as a falling wave. I, they, he, she, we, you turn, only to discover the encounter to be alien to this place. Wait, the patience is in the living. Time opens out to you. The opening between you and you occupied, zoned for an encounter. Given the histories of you and you, and always, who is this you? The start of you, each day, a presence already. Hey you. Slipping down, burying the you, buried within. You are everywhere and you are nowhere in the day. The outside 
comes in. Then you, hey you, overheard in the moonlight, overcome in the moonlight. Soon you're sitting around, publicly listening, when you hear this. What happens to you doesn't belong to you, only half concerns you. He's speaking of the legionnaires in Claire Denis' film, Beau Travail, and you were pulled back into the body of you, receiving the nothing gaze. The world out there insisting on this only half concerns you. What happens to you doesn't belong to you. Only half concerns you. It's not yours, not yours only. And still, a world begins its furious erasure. Who do you think you are saying I to me? You nothing, you nobody, you. A body in the world drowns in it. Hey you, all our fevered history won't instill insight won't turn a body conscious, won't make that look in the eyes say yes. Though there is nothing to solve. Even as each moment is an answer. Don't say I, if it means so little. Holds the little, forming no one. You're not sick. You're hurt. You ache for the rest of life. How to care for the injured body. The kind of body that can't hold the content it is living. And where is the safest place when that place must be some place other than in the body? Even now, your voice entangles this mouth, whose words are here as pulse, strumming shut out, shut in, shut up. You cannot say. A body translates its you. You there. Hey, you. Even as it loses the location of its mouth. When you lay your body in the body, entered as if skin and bone were public places. When you lay your body in the body, entered as if you're the ground you walk on. You know no memory should live in these memories, becoming the body of you. You slow all existence down with your call, detectable only as sky. The night's yarn absorbs you as you lie down at the wrong angle to the sun, ready 
already to let go your hand. Wait with me. Though the waiting, wait up, might take until nothing whatsoever was done. To be left, not alone, the only wish. To call you out, to call out you. Who shouted you? You shouted you. You the murmur in the air. You sometimes sounding like you. You sometimes saying you. Go nowhere. Be no one but you first. Nobody notices. Only you've known. You're not sick. Not crazy. Not angry. Not sad. It's just this. You're hurt. Everything shaded. Everything darkened. Everything shadowed. Is the stripped? Is the struck? Is the trace? Is the aftertaste? I, they, he, she, we, you were too concluded yesterday to know whatever was done could also be done, was also done, was never done. The worst injury is feeling you don't belong so much to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Claudia, for a very deep and stirring reading. And um, thanks to the Library of Congress and the Bobbitt family for bringing us here. Um, Claudia and I read together 15 years ago at the University of Chicago with Ed Roberson. So it's nice to be reunited. Um, The um, phrase, lifetime achievement, has a rather ominous ring. <laughs> and um, I, I'm going to read um, recent work that hasn't been published in book form yet. Um, I'm not done yet. Um, and, um, I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> um, the poem I'll begin with, uh, since we're here in Washington, D.C., um, it's the last poem in a volume that will be called Tejbet. And it's, I only work, uh, I only write, you know, a couple of poems. One is called Song of the Andumbulu, and the other is called Mu. And they go on. Um, the book that uh, I most recently published, um, Blue Fossa, ends with Song of the Andumbulu 110. And Tejbet ends with this one, Song of the Andumbulu 160. And um, those of you acquainted with the work know that it's come to be a kind of 
um, song of migration, uh, the migration of a traveling group known as We, in a, a country called Nub, that bears some resemblance to this country, a world, a, a planet called Nub, which bears some resemblance to this planet. And this one um, was recently published in The Nation back in the fall, even though it was written a few years ago. It was actually uh, written around the time of the midterm elections. Nub's pendular politics took our wind away. Suff was all sigh, exasperation. We'd sat on a beach biting hard apples during an earlier go-round. Nothing we knew amounted to much. Only this or that oscillatory witness, a topography of grief, regret rolled out under our feet. I thought of Netsonets, low-hanging hips, and the honey-based perfume her night garments had given off. Lineage of wind, the book Sophia wrote us into again and again. The word we thought meant injury, meant winding, we found out. I wanted whatever might last to last, knowing nothing would. The words ersatz eternity as close as we'd ever come. The words conjoint rehearsal, each the other's fecund recess. I wanted not to be yelling what was wrong, but I was. Mama too tight might have been on the box, but I wasn't sure. So it was, or so it seemed, or seeming so, it made me reckon. Warble to one side, moot clamor to another, a worrying of all it was we knew. One would know the quality of what I fled by my awayness my doctrine held. Doctrinal as I let myself be, not very. Awayness turned all doctrine away. So went my rescinding of souls, weak resolve. Nubs rescinded steps, inoculant. A mirror might I have gotten it to look. So it was, I wasn't the only one yelled what was wrong. Nubs forward steps in consequence. Nubs turned back on cue. Nets and nets, pliant hips, a remote planet, honey waft, my head let lifted there. I was older now, Annuncio the Elder's avatar, be he mine as well as me his. Nub's raw cry rubbed us bloodless. Gauge and more gauge I reached into. A nested set, some recollection lay inside. I requested a song my reluctance to sing built out from, song number 40 times four. Song number four to the second times 10, four to the third times five divided by two. Song I'd be tied in knots announcing whose number. Song Nub's temporizing led me to. Netsonet fresh from her bath, I remembered. Balm against Nub's regression. Regressive itself, no matter. Soft cloths suffused with Perlier honey. 
skin so suffused as well. All as if light years away, so remote it appeared. An unreal world, or another world, or another life, mine though it insisted itself to be. I was older now, Annunzio the Elder's avatar, he mine as well. Nub's pendular politics, endless, waft what respite, honey haunts would be regime. So said song number four times eighty divided by two. The song a reluctance to sing set forth. Song so undone by Nub's pendular politics. Nub's back and forth so much more back than forth. Song I made myself breathe in, not wanting to sing. Suff, one with suffusion. Suff, nothing but soul. Soul, nothing at all, if not respite. Thank you for joining us on From the Catbird Seat. To learn more about poetry past, present, and future at the Library of Congress, visit us at loc.gov poetry. You can watch or listen to the full events featured on today's episode by going to loc.gov discover and clicking on video webcasts. We'll be back next week for another episode. Stay tuned. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.